And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. All Christians uh, are committed to receiving the Old Testament as divine revelation. And uh, this is the historic teaching of uh, all the Christian traditions that are out there. And yet the Old Testament is rife with controversial passages and events that raise all kinds of questions about its continued significance today. Um, You've heard it said, you know, what, what kind of God commands the extermination of the Canaanites? What are we supposed to do with passages like the one in the Psalms that uh, says, Blessed is he who crushes the heads of your little ones against the rock? Questions are also raised about the historicity of the Exodus. What's the evidence we have from archaeology on the Exodus? Uh, we have issues of homosexuality. Are those Old Testament passages that deal with uh, homosexuality uh, applicable today? Well, with me right now to help us understand some of these questions is Dr. Tremper Longman III. He's author of Confronting Old Testament Controversy, pressing questions about evolution, sexuality, history, and violence. He's an outstanding Old Testament scholar, distinguished um, scholar and professor emeritus of biblical studies at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, where he was the Robert H. Gundry Professor of Biblical Studies for 19 years before his retirement. He also taught uh, at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia for 18 years, and he has authored and co-authored more than 30 books. Tremper, it's good to have you with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be on with you. Thanks. I'd like to just deal with the talk about the Old Testament generally and its importance to Christians. Uh, it seems to me that whether you're talking about Catholic Christians or even evangelicals and mainline Protestants, Orthodox, very few Christians actually have a strong sense of family with the Old Testament saints. Um, so how many people actually have a sense of appreciation that were in the lineage of Abraham, for instance? There isn't a sense of narrative. I think a lot of Christians don't identify with the historical experience of ancient Israel. Why is that? Well, uh, it definitely is the case, uh, and it's uh, one of the main reasons why I decided about 40 years ago to go into the study of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. because I've noticed that Christians uh, of all stripes um, find the Old Testament kind of distant from them, and they shouldn't, because as as you say, it's really our story, our story that goes back to creation, our story that goes back to Abraham, Um, and, and, and I think maybe the reasons why uh, include the fact that the Old Testament is indeed culturally and temporally older than the New Testament. Uh, The Old Testament, uh, I would argue very strongly that Jesus is is there in the Old Testament, but it's not as clear as in the New Testament Mm -hmm. uh, until you read it in the light of the New Testament. And and also um, because of the uh, difficult issues that especially 21st century Western Christians have with the Old Testament. So that's kind of motivated my uh, study and writing and teaching uh, 
I kind of, I, whenever I think about this issue, I think about how my father had a weird way of taking me to the movies when I was a young man. He never looked at the time when it would start. <laughs> and um, and we just show up. And it could be 20 <laughs> minutes before the end. And uh, you could tell the end was really exciting, but you couldn't understand what was going on without knowing the first part of the story. And that's kind of like, in my opinion, Christians who read the New Testament without knowing the Old Testament. Yes, yes. Uh, should we try to get uh, into the thinking of the first audiences for the Old Testament? Can, can I can I kind of get back there and, and read it like an ancient Hebrew? I think I think it's really important to to do that. Not that we can't understand the basic message of the Old Testament just by reading it, but I mean the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter, are written to specific audiences mm-hmm. in you know the different books of the Bible. So they're addressing concerns of that contemporary audience. They're using languages that those audiences understood, like Hebrew and Greek of the New Testament, and using metaphors and imagery and so forth that would have been, uh, you know, part of the culture of the original audience, uh, and, and maybe not ours. So we have to do some thinking and studying. I think that's another problem many contemporary Christians have is that they think the Bible should come simple to them. Right, right, right. Uh, but, but, you, but, but really, to get the most out of the Bible, to hear God's voice there in all of its fullness, I mean, we really have to study, we have to think about it, we have to, um, you know, put our hearts and minds into the effort of reading Scripture. Mm, I agree. Uh, let me go to the ex- the question of the Exodus. Uh, would you say that the Exodus as, is as important to ancient Israel as the resurrection is to the Christian? Yes, I, in the sense that uh, it is uh, an event that shows that it's God's defining salvation event right. for the Israelites. Right. Um, and it becomes a shadow of of the reality of the of the of the salvation that Jesus provides on the cross. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do think it's foundational and pivotal to uh, God to people in the past and eventually to us as well. And so it it has to be a historical event, then, right? It, it can't just be a myth of origin or something like that. Right. I I think it and and I try to explain this in the book, that um, that stories are very powerful, but this is the type of story that, if nothing actually happened in space and time, would really not have any kind of theological message behind it, because the story of God saving Moses and the Israelites from certain doom mm-hmm. at, say, the, the, the sea— by opening up the sea and allowing them to go through it, uh, is establishing what I call a track record for God. We can look back on that and, and grow in our confidence as we face difficulties in our present by remembering that God actually did save his helpless people at yes. that time. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, 
much has been made that uh, if the if the exodus was a historical event, we ought to have all kinds of uh, evidence for it, uh, you know, in the Red Sea or in the, the plains of Egypt. And there's relatively little that we can point to as uh, archaeological evidence for an event as massive as the exodus. How do you respond to that? Well, well, first of all, I, I um, would respond by saying, actually, while we might think that's the case, there are good reasons why it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the Egyptians were not, for instance, were not in the habit of, you know, remembering or preserving for antiquity, uh, you know, accounts that humiliated them. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> you know, what we have from Egypt are written on pyramid walls and obelisks and so forth. And, and they just didn't, <laughs> for obvious reasons, want to put those on those monumental architecture. Um, and, and then also, I, I do think that there's room to talk about things like um, the numbers of the Israelites who went up. I think sometimes uh, the numbers that were given in the book of Exodus and and in the book of Numbers are um, quite high, uh, but there are, there are reasons to think that maybe we're misconstruing those numbers. I go into the details in the book. Yeah. It would be a little boring and t- tedious to do sure. it here. Uh, but the... Um, but but um, but there I guess the bottom line is, and I, I spelled this out in the book, that there are good reasons why we don't have uh, extra biblical direct evidence of the exodus, say from Egypt. And uh, but on the other hand, I also point out, and I wrote a history of Israel with two other scholars, Ian Proven and Phil Long, that's mm-hmm. kind of a seminary level textbook. And in there we, point out that, hey, you know what? The Bible itself is an ancient direct <laughs> yes, that's right. to the Exodus. And then secondly, there's there's a lot of interesting indirect evidence that would support the idea of the Exodus. Give us an example of so, one. So um, uh, an example of one yeah. would be, um, well, I mean, for instance, in the debates among Old Testament scholars, there's even a question whether we could talk about Israel being in the land uh, in the mid, uh, in the second half of the second millennium BC, mm-hmm. and we have something called the Israel Stila, also called the Merneptah Stila, which mentions this Pharaoh Merneptah who follows Ramesses, who's often thought to be the the Pharaoh of the of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. So there's debate about that, since the Pharaoh is not actually named in the text. And um, but but this text mentions Merneptah going up into the area of Canaan and encountering and defeating the Israelites. Huh. Um, there's also there's um, also some interesting archaeological phenomena going on in the 13th century, where um, all of a sudden you have the appearance of a whole bunch of new archaeological, small archaeological sites in the hill country. And uh, what's interesting about it is that besides having common technology of uh, of water capture and 
plastic lined cisterns, etc. There's an absence of chick, uh, pig bones. There are all kinds of other animal bones there, but no pig bones. Wow. So, I mean, again, um, there's a lot of indirect evidence that I lay out in the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to come back on the other side of the break and continue conversation uh, about, uh, well, we'll ha- certainly have to touch upon the, the question of homosexuality since that's such a predominant uh, conversation in American culture right now. But I also want to make sure we get to the question of violence and uh, what kind of God commands the extermination of the Canaanites. With me is Dr. Tremper Longman III, Confronting Old Testament Controversies. Pressing questions about evolution, sexuality, history, and violence. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Tremper Longman III, confronting Old Testament controversies, pressing questions about evolution, sexuality, history, and violence. Tremper, uh, let's go to the question of homosexuality. Uh, There have been people uh, who have tried to reinterpret uh, texts, Old Testament texts, and uh, regarding what on the face of it seemed to be dealing with homosexuality, trying to reinterpret those passages. One way of doing it is simply to say that uh, certain passages in the Mosaic law have been um, um, abrogated because of the New Testament. Um, the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it has to do with their failure to show hospitality rather than homosexuality. It, does the Old Testament give us any guidance on the question of homosexuality in the first place? Let me ask you that. Yeah, Al, I I, I think it definitely does, um, beginning with the uh, idea that uh, those those laws against uh, homosexual practice in Leviticus 18 and 20 um, are applications— the case law in general, you know, the laws that follow the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. are all applying the principles of the Ten Commandments to specific situations that are relevant specifically to Israel's cultural and redemptive historical moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, indeed, some of those case laws are no longer relevant in the New Testament because, as Jesus says, the law is fulfilled until it's accomplished. And some of the case laws concerning sacrifice and and mixtures and and food laws the purpose of those laws have been accomplished so we don't observe them anymore but when you have laws that aren't accomplished and you get a repeat of those laws in essence in a place like Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 1 Timothy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which even use Greek terms that are very similar to the Hebrew language terms that we get in in Leviticus 18 and 20. That's a pretty strong indicator that um, that the laws continue to be relevant for our obedience to God today. So it's no surprise, if I might conclude by saying, it's no surprise that no one has really 
reinterpreted the texts in the way that they have uh, until about 30 years ago. Yeah. And and it's also maybe we should keep in mind, especially since we live in the rather liberal West, that the global church uh, hasn't hasn't been persuaded by these re-readings. So, um, so as I argue in my book, there there are pretty strong reasons uh, to affirm the traditional understanding of these texts. Does the story of Sodom and Gomorrah have any bearing on the question? Well, I think, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is probably not the place I would go to begin a discussion Mm -hmm. about it. Uh, And the reason why is because the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah are doing so many horrible things. It's hard <laughs> to specify exactly what what's being highlighted here. I mean, it's it's too easy if you just go to Sodom and Gomorrah to say. Uh, well, many people say it just has to do with lack of hospitality, and indeed the prophets will look back on it lack of hospitality. But but in the New Testament, Jude refers to Sodom and Gomorrah as a sexual transgression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my my guess is, for sure, it's not even it's not even really a guess. I strongly suspect that just the nature of the sexual act as homosexual was part of it. But on the other hand, we have gang rape going on here as yeah. well. Yeah. So the bottom line is, I don't uh, I don't think the Sodom and Gomorrah passage is a good place to go to begin a discussion about this topic. Nor on the other side. People will use the Jonathan and David story right. in a kind of fallacious way uh, to try to say that, well, Jonathan and David were in a homosexual yeah. relationship. He, he loved her more than women, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that, that and in my book I explain how, how that's a very unpersuasive reading of that text. Sure. Uh, it's just, it's, a, it's the language of intimacy— between two men who are who are just uh, very close, and particularly in a military kind of context, yeah. the language is appropriate in its Old Testament context. Right, right. Let's go to the question of violence. Um, uh, the often people jump to the extermination of the Canaanites, but you can look at other passages too and begin to ask, what kind of divinity is this that is able to command? Um, such violence. Why don't you just? Where do you begin that discussion about divine violence? Yeah, it's and I want to say uh, it's a difficult issue. Um, and and again, you know, I think it's particularly difficult for those of us again in the West in the 21st century who live in pretty um, typically. Um, peaceful context compared mm-hmm. to, say, the ancient Near East. Sure. Uh, and, and, and indeed, I, I've been working on, you know, studying this picture of God as a warrior since the beginning of my career in the 1980s. And it wasn't controversial until 9-11 when, um, you know, all of a sudden Americans and American Christians were uh, hearing you know, jihadists right. talking in language that sounded like 
the Old Testament. But mm-hmm. but here's 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 the basic point, which I develop at some length in the book. Um, God's violence uh, is connected to His judgment of sin, and that far from being uh, a New Testament versus Old Testament idea, it's part of the story of God's um, judgment on evil that begins, you know, right after uh, the fall in Genesis 3 and continues into the New Testament. We, ha- we happen to live, and I, I make this case in the book, in the period of time between the first and second coming of Christ where, right. where God's people are not to engage in violent acts to promote the gospel. Right but rather Jesus heightened and intensified the battle to bring it against the spiritual powers and authority, which he defeats on the cross and through his resurrection. But, but then as we look forward to the second coming, um, you know, in a place like Revelation 19, it describes God's final judgment against all evil humans and spiritual powers and authority. And, uh, and, and, and so, so even the Canaan, well, the Canaanite, uh, the the battle against the Canaanites at the time of the conquest in Genesis fifteen verse sixteen is specifically connected to their, you know, to their sin. So always God's violence is an act of judgment, and I think, I think that there's a tendency today in the church to kind of explain away, you know, God's judgment and violence because they think it's not attractive to the broader culture. But as somebody who actually became a Christian because I was uh, confronted with the idea that I was a sinner and God would judge me, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's in the interests of, of evangelism to, to move away from the picture that the Bible as a whole gives us of who God is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, old, the book of Revelation itself has r- violent passages, right? I mean— you know, Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So, so in that sense, um, the New Testament isn't uh, qualitatively <laughs> a more no, p- specific no, uh, book than the Old Testament. Uh, yeah. yeah, and let's remember that Jesus fully embraces the Old Testament. Right. He doesn't come and critique it. <laughs> yeah, He's, yeah. He's he's fulfilling it, yeah. and uh, and yeah. So so and in the book of Revelation, and also say the so-called little apocalypses of the gospel, like Mark thirteen, right? Up imagery of God the warrior, including you know the one like the Son of Man riding a cloud, um, it, and applying it to Jesus when yeah. he returns. Uh, say that uh, I can hear people saying, "Well, that I get that. That's good." However, uh, look, children are involved in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's right. not as though the the really bad guys are picked out and then <laughs> violence is visited yeah. upon them. The violence is visited upon them apparently as a collective. So, how do you respond to that? Well, I respond first of all by acknowledging it very difficult, and and I, I don't have a pat answer uh, for that, uh, though I also would say that it's a modern 
conception, not a biblical conception, to talk about innocent children Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the judgment of God, you know, that that all human beings are sinful. Um, And... And um, and also, I should point out that you know it, it wasn't the Canaanites weren't because um, you know it wasn't like uh, if you're a Canaanite you have to die. I mean, Canaanites had had the option of fleeing, and Israel wasn't going to send out <laughs> send out uh, troops to find them, or even like Rahab and others. Um, coming over to God's side yeah. on this matter. So um, so we, we definitely, and Paul Copen does this a really good, uh, does a really good job of this in his book, Is God a Moral Monster, mm-hmm. where he points out that to depict this as a kind of genocide is, is exactly wrong. And yeah. I talk about that in my book, as well. too. Yeah. But on the other hand, sometimes, you know, we're faced with questions whether it's about this issue or our own personal suffering, that sometimes we just don't know God's full mind on it. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we just, rather than trying to explain it away, we just need to trust God that that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we simply have to say, I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I've got about 60 seconds left, Tremper, and... Uh, how would you encourage people to begin reading the Old Testament or, you know, beginning to identify with it, own it, make it part of their life? What would you suggest? Well, I, I would suggest, um, first of all, getting a good, readable translation. There are a lot of them out there in Catholic tradition. The New Jerusalem Bible mm-hmm. is very readable and good, or, and there are others as well. I worked on the New Living Translation as a translator, okay. uh, and um, but but the point is, start reading it and start you know, uh, start from Genesis, and if you for in your first read through, because Genesis to Esther is giving you a continual story. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and so follow that story. Maybe maybe read a chapter a day and a psalm and and, and maybe some proverbs. Um, there are different ways of reading it, but just, I think my first encouragement would be to read it. It is Get the Word started. of God, yeah. and we need to know it. Amen. Trumper, thanks so much. Great talking with you. Great talking to you too, Al. Thank you so much. Dr. Tremper Longman, Confronting Old Testament Controversies.